This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupans, and I say this all the time, Chris, I saw it with mine own eyes. I was actually at the Zupans in Lake Grove as they were setting up the Ruby Jewel cart. It was pretty sweet. And you saw it with your own mouth, too. Oh, I did, yeah. Those ice cream sandwiches, which is uh, what Ruby Jewel is. They're known for a lot of great things, but this ice cream sandwiches is definitely top of that list. Every night this summer from 2 to 9, Stop on by and get one of those Ruby Jewel sandwiches. It'll be the best decision you ever make in your life. And that's at the Lake Grove store in Lake Oswego. And um, I can concur with that. We've actually had Lisa from Ruby Jewel on here, so you can listen to the podcast and find out what she's serving there. It's great stuff. So I agree with that. For those of you who are gluten-free, and there are a lot of you out there, uh, now at Zupan's, their bakery department is carrying New Cascadia traditional gluten-free breads. Uh, so they're founded in 2006, and they have rustic breads, sandwich loaves, bagels, buns, and more. For all of you folks always asking, is it gluten-free? Zupan's is. And for those of you who might be a little bit teary-eyed that the uh, heat wave cut the strawberry season a little short, don't worry. Zupan's Produce Department, they've always got brand new stuff coming in. And right now, some are favorites like blueberries, raspberries, blackberries. It's so good to go to Zupan's. And the other thing I'll say is we get a little tired in the summer. Go there and get all their prepared foods and their pokey bar right now. There's nothing better than nice cold pokey to enjoy in the summer. So Zupan's Markets, three locations, Burnside, Lake Grove, and McAdam. And of course, Zupan's.com. It's Portland's Food Scene Podcast with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And Court Johnson. Yes, the co-host of Right at the Fork. Right, but we can also find you, what, on two stations now, KXL and Kink. At the same time. At the same time. Don't ask me how we do it. And here. Yeah, and and here. And you're a father. And I'm a, well. And a husband. Yes. You got all All, this stuff going on. You're multitasking. I'm just as busy as the the average guy. I'm just, I don't know if I'm as busy as you, but. Oh, uh, you're not an average guy, Court. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And we don't have an average guy as our uh, guest today. This is the first for the Right at the Fork podcast where behind the scenes we had uh, Daniel Mondock's son, Renee, in the studio with us. Yes. Uh, And. As he tells us, he just won more custody yeah. of his son, and so here we are on Monday, and this was his opportunity to spend time with him. So. Yeah, so so on occasion you might actually hear Renee in the background because for an eight-year-old boy to have to sit still in a studio for almost an hour, that's rough, and he did an awesome job. I know, with with the three of us. Yeah, like, three boring dudes. <laughs> so he did do a great job. Um, and Daniel is one of my, uh, I think, I, I pointed out while we're talking, I'll just say it here, I think he's easily one of the most talented chefs in Portland. Um, and he's worked at some great restaurants here from Genoa to those who remember Selgri will know that was at, in its time one of the better restaurants in Portland. Um, and also he's worked at the French Laundry, Elizabeth Daniel in San Francisco. He'll talk about it. As a matter of fact, I think he did more resume talk than almost any chef we've had. And the reason is we were going to ask him about his life. Yeah. And But that's his life. His, he's a his, chef. His man. chef pedigree is his life. <laughs> yeah, is his life. Yeah. And his son is, and, and he's trying to get some, he's, he's talks about 
working out some balance in his life. So that's why his son was here mm-hmm. today, too. So, um, But uh, we did a PFA, Portland Food Adventures dinner, at Raven and Rose. I believe it was uh, to start out 2016 in January. Hands down, one of the most beautiful dinners we've ever done. And, or that he's ever, they've ever done, but that I happen to put our name on. Yeah. And, um, and they pulled out all the stops. And I think that you can hear it in this interview with Daniel, that how much passion he has for what's going on at Raven and Rose. And he's got quite a talented crew that he works with. Lisa Migrant is wonderful mm-hmm. and spends a lot of time in Ireland. Um, and they're doing, you know, the, the cuisine from that region. Uh, Dave Chanel, we've had him on the podcast. Mm-hmm is uh, an incredible beverage director, uh, bartender, knows a lot, and really nice guy, too. So they're good people over there. I just want to give a shout-out to some other good people I recently ran into at a dinner at Confont, and that would be AJ and Mary, who were so kind and gave me a little feedback. On on the the podcast? On the podcast, Well, I'll talk to you about it later. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, people just say nice things all the time. I'm waiting to get some criticism. Right, okay, okay, so I'm, all right. Yeah, it was, it was nice. But AJ and Mary, 25th anniversary, they're, they were celebrating that night nice. and throughout the week. So I just wanted to say hello. And, and he's been listening, Doctor, has been listening to the podcast for years. Oh, so nice. knew a lot of the episodes. So I just like to do that. And it's, it's always pleasant to have someone introduce themselves. Um, and it's pleasant to have Daniel here. Uh, finally, have wanted him on the podcast yeah. for a long time, and uh, I'm glad we waited. We have more people that are going to hear him now. Mm-hmm. So, what'd you do with Renee yesterday? Renee actually um, was with a friend um, and his mother because I had to work brunch, and then we had a buyout at the restaurant last night. So I was there from 7 in the morning to about 11.30 last night. Chef life. Yes. So today is Father's Day. Today is Father's Day. We separated. We sent out, celebrated Father's Day last weekend. We went up to St. Helens and camped out and relaxed. It was fun. Nice. Yeah. I'm sure it was a little uh, a little lighter than when you came out to Manzanita and rapped on my window at like 10.30 <laughs> or 11 at night a few years Lee ago. Lee Jorgensen. Yeah, I remember that. That was funny. That, yeah, that was that was great. Mm. That was fun, actually. It was. It was fun. the first time we ever actually had the opportunity to hang out, right. and and uh, it was a little bit of a surprise. I went from lying in my bed naked to all of a sudden out on the beach with drinking with, bottles of wine, drinking bottles of wine. Yeah. yeah. So that was uh, that was fun. Has life been fun for you lately? Life has been very good lately. Um, work's keeping me busy. Um, I just um, got him 50-50, so I applied for it a while back, and I've been waiting for quite some time, so now I have him every other week, and I'm off Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then Tuesdays he goes to summer camp or goes back to school when that time is that time comes. So it's been, it's been great so far being able to do that, um, to spend a lot more time with him. I always have him Sunday, Mondays, but every other week it's the additional. So then I also kind of work that into the schedule it's at work with the salary managers where everybody's on a four three so three on four on three off everybody works four ten so the quality of life has basically been put back into the kitchen that we have there and it was something i've been working on since last year mm-hmm. um knowing that i was going to get him more time um to be a dad a lot more time and good it's, it's been fantastic you so, got a lot of balance going on yeah it's now. good yeah and you've been you know, and you're going on all over three years at almost, Raven and it'll Rose. It'll be four. Almost four. In January, I think. Yeah, February. It'll be four years in February. That's a good long stint. It is. That yeah. is, uh, you know, I remember way back, early in my 
relationship before I was even married. We moved every year, mm-hmm. and it was constant. And then all of a sudden, 15 years in one spot. Right. And so, you know, things shift in life to make that happen. What shifted for you at uh, Raven and Rose that that made you very comfortable to sit down, to, you know, go on your fourth year now? Well, when... Um because I, I was living in Dundee for a while because I had a restaurant down there, Paul A, which was a very fantastic restaurant. I think it was a little bit too... Um, Dundee wasn't ready for it quite yet. It was very high-end and avant-garde, and we had our own gardens and everything. It was really fantastic. Everything was sustainable. It like, was really cool. It was fantastic. I my best friend out there once, and I said, oh, I know the chef here, mm-hmm. and I asked for you, and you, that, your last day was the day before. Okay. We right. just missed you. Right. So, yeah. But it was a beautiful place. It was. It was really good. We were doing... Um, Plate and pitchfork. We were, I was able to walk out to my own farm and do a plate and pitchfork dinner, and I hosted one the following day, which was fantastic. Um, anywho, so when I moved back to Portland, I was looking for a job, and um, it just so happened that Raven Rose was hiring because there was no chef gigs at the time. Um, and Troy Feruder was the chef there, and he hired me on as just a line cook, and I um, was just hanging out there for a few months working, um, and it was it was really fun. Had a good time. Kind of not. Not having any responsibility was actually kind of cool. All I had to do was worry about my own station, and I was left alone. I could just do what I needed to do. You did that at Wafu too, didn't you? I did at Wafu, little, yeah. yeah. So right, so it was Wafu first, and then I helped them um, um, turn Wafu into what was block and tackle. So I did a lot of the the food from up front, not in a row, but up front. I did all the food for that it was really fun. And it was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I just they, saw one of my. It must have been about some at this time of year that it opened because I just saw a post. Where I had been there when it first opened, uh-huh. and with Brenda Crow, correct. And did you guys I, sit at the chef's counter to do omakase for you? Like no, we didn't. Stuff? But we okay. had we were ate a lot, yeah. and you came out. I remember. Sure. But I on the post on Facebook, I, I was really raving about it. Great. Yeah, it was so. it was it was fun. It was good. Um, so yeah, I did that for a little bit, um, and I was basically helping out Trent and Chef's Table with that because they needed a little bit of help because they felt like it was kind of moving in a direction they didn't want it to go. So we just I just kind of brought it all back in and just started making the food consistent and really good all the time. So that's kind of consistency is going to kill you. Inconsistency will kill you in a restaurant. We all know that. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, some though get away some with of it. it. Some of them can get away with it. Right. <laughs> I've noticed um, that they <clears throat> shall remain, remain nameless right now. Then, um, um, yeah. And then I went on to, uh, Raven and Rose and then I got hired on to, um, open a new restaurant, which was Swank and Swine, which, um, didn't really pan out for me. Um, and we won't go into detail why, um, but it just didn't. So I went back to Raven and Rose, like the same day I, I left there, I was like, Hey, I'm back. And they're like, okay. Um, and then <laughs> in that time, that eight month period, they switched chefs again. So, um, it seemed that Raven and Rose was having a, its own problems, um, keeping a chef. It was three years and three chefs. And for sometimes that's really bad for a restaurant. And, you know, you look at what Raven and Rose is, it's a fantastic, beautiful building. It was built in 1883. It's a historical landmark. Um, it's been restored LED gold, um, certified. And, I mean, if anybody has not been there, they should come check it out because it is Beautiful a fabulous space. building, right? And, and great food, too. <clears throat> great. Yeah, the food's good. It's all right. Um, you know, the kitchen's all hardwood, booze. You know, we do have some stainless, but it's you walk into this place, you're like, oh, my God, I want to work here. So that was kind of my attitude, and um, I just kind of built myself up, but not to be sous chef because they had had a chef there, so... Uh, Lisa Migrant, the owner, she created um, what she called the culinary director. So I became um, more of a front-of-the-house type floor manager um, and 
you know, doing numbers and, and learning everything in the back of the house, in the office that sometimes you don't get to do that when you're a chef. So it kind of, I put on a new hat, so to speak. Right. Um, and then, uh, I started curating the wine list with David Cheneau, our beverage director and operations manager. Now, um, we did this wine list and we got really excited about it because it was something that, I mean, of course I love wine, you know, and, um, I love pairing food with wine and vice versa. So I was able to sit down with Dave and taste wines with all these different purveyors and, you know, of course, as soon as we took over doing this, Chenin Blanc hit the menu, bam, because that's one of my favorite varietals, right? And, you know, he's put on some geeky, nerdy stuff, some orange wines, but they don't really sell. It's not really what our guests are looking for. Um, but we did create this beautiful wine list, and you know, we won the A-list uh, in 16 and 17 for the Oregon Wine Board, which was fantastic. Um, and then um, as things change, we ended up needing another chef, and so they offered me the job, and I, I accepted um like, uh, of course, I want to be the chef here. Right, of and you knew the right. restaurant inside and out. And I knew the restaurant inside point. and out already. So, you know, the first things out of my mouth were, Lisa, what can I do for you? You know, what would you like for, for me to do? And she's like, I want British Isles focused cuisine. And so I had to put on a different thinking cap. And, you know, you know, I've done some pretty miraculous food at Selgri and pretty miraculous food at Palais. And, you know, even when I worked at Genoa for a year, that was that was right before Palais. Um, you know, we were doing some pretty fancy stuff, but this is this is a different beast. Um, Raven Rose is seven thousand square feet; it's two floors. You got one kitchen producing food for two restaurants, basically. You got the the lads' dining room up downstairs, and you have the rookery bar upstairs, and it's a beast. When it gets going and it's full, it's it's a beast. So you have to think about what kind of food do you really want to put out there. Um, you want to put something that's beautiful, and you, know, you want to put something that's consistent. You want to do something that's not labor intensive on the back end in the back of the kitchen prep wise. And you don't want to do something that's going to bog you down when you're picking up food on the line. I generally work the line every single night. I love working. I love, I love working the line. I love cooking. Every time you know, I've been in there or even upstairs at the rookery, you're there. I'm cooking. I'm so, always there. I yeah. kind of live there. Um, but, um, you know, we've, we've created all these dishes that are even historical. Like when we did the PD, um, the Portland Food Adventure with you up in the rookery, we kind of recreated a whole renaissance kind of theme was what we were looking at and doing food that dated back to the 1300s all the way up into the, like the modern day. Right. And that was fantastic. I'd love that. That you know, was, that, that was, was, so we've done, we're on number 65, I think, PFA. Uh -huh, uh -huh. easily. I can never say one was the best, but easily top five. Awesome. And you guys just kicked, you You took it, ran with it, and never asked a question, just just you knew what to do and right. do it well. Right. And, and right down to the most, those absolutely the most beautiful menu we've ever had Great. for a PFA uh -huh. that was just done so well. Anyway, cool. I, you you and I are crossing paths at Genoa. We had, I had a really nice experience with you. We had to fix a little problem, and you came out of the kitchen right. and uh -huh. had that handled. And, right. uh, and then one of my... I've written about it. One of my favorite first Portland food experiences was at Selgri. Right. I didn't know who you were. Right. I just remember your lobster and gnocchi. I right. Still, Court, can I ever remember dishes? No, you can't. <laughs> well, no. no, barely. And that one. You remember kind of some peripheral stuff around it and right. maybe what you were doing, but not, rarely can you remember the exact thing you ate. Right. I can't describe it as it is on the menu, but no. that one. I, I remember telling everybody, you got to get over here and have this. Right. So anyway. You know, Selgri was little... a fantastic, um, it was a, not necessarily, I was at Carlisle prior and that was at Bruce Goldberg, which is now where uh, Olympia Provisions Northwest is. And we had this 
this fantastic kitchen that was 4,200 square feet was the kitchen there, you know, and um, we used to have this this table that was made out of a, a, a barn siding, so we had this barnwood dinner, and we did our barnwood table, and we did these barnwood dinners in the kitchen there, so we could have up to 25 people at Carlisle, at Carlisle in the kitchen, so they would come up to the, the line and watch us cooking, and we would do these, you know, elaborate, depending on how much you wanted to spend, between four and seven course meals um, for up to 25 people. It was pretty cool. Um, but then I, when I did Selgree, um, everything really just kind of fell into fell into place, right? And we were doing just fantastic food in such a small little venue, and people loved it. You know, it was it was, it was wild how excited people were about it. And then... Um, when we had the fire and everything kind of just kind of went away, it was, it was just kind of like, hmm. well, that was a fun it, ride. Yeah. You know? And then it became cursed. Right. The, Supposedly. The right. I guess. Um, it I seems like there's a little bakery in there right now that seems to be doing okay. Oh, but I, I don't, don't want to call them cursed. Oh. I just, I just meant. No, they said it was know, cursed beforehand. Then, uh, right. Um, but I think, you know, we were very successful there. Um, yeah, I think at the time that was that you were positioned to be become one of the icon, iconic restaurants Correct. in Portland. Yeah, it was like Gabriel, right. Naomi, was, and myself, and John Gorham. It was like we were. It was like the top four. You know, that was right. what happened. And then the fire happened, and just kind of just kind of peered away. And you know, life happens, right? And it just so happens that um, year in April in two thousand nine is when I had my son Renee. Um, and like I said, life happens. So what's the biggest disappointment you've ever had in your life? I don't know. It's, was, kinda, it's hard to say. I, I mean, losing Selgree was a disappointment. Um, I don't have too many disappointments. I really don't. I, you know, um, I had a pretty crazy childhood growing up in San Diego um, until I was about 10, and then I moved, into, I moved to Humboldt County in Eureka. Um, so I was moving from southernmost point of California to almost the northernmost point of California was a complete um, culture shock for me. I was wearing golden wave cutoff cords, right, and moving up to wear jeans and flannels. It was a, it was a trip for me. Um, and so was that in your teens? In yeah, I, I would move there when I was 11, you know, oh. so preteen. Um, it was a trip, um, but I, I do... I do thank my lucky stars that I grew up there in the Redwoods um, and not in San Diego. For I don't know why, but I just feel like that was my path. You know, I, I moved to Humboldt to live with my father and my stepmother, um, and it was such a better gig than I did San Diego. Um, did that have anything to do with you uh, eventually getting into the French Laundry? Um, just being there, or does it have nothing to do with one another? Nothing, not really, no. Um, it, that was a progression of of time, right? Um, you know, in San Diego, I, I, I was a latchkey kid and I had to pay, I had to feed myself a lot because my mom was never home. Really? Yeah. So. At what age from, was that? Uh, when I was like seven and eight, nine. Wow. So um, what did you make for yourself? I made a lot of mac and cheese, but I would doctor it up and ramen and doctor it up. My mom was a fabulous cook. You know, instead of on Thanksgiving, instead of turkey, we would have enchiladas. It was like, oh yeah, I love enchiladas. And she would cook a lot of stuff in hibachi because uh, we lived in Japan. I was born in Japan. We moved um, back to the States when I was about two and a half, three. Um, and so she brought all this Japanese stuff back with her, like an original hibachi. The, like, you know, they have the big green eggs now. We had one of those on our porch um, in the 70s. Um, and she has this uh, beautiful china cabinet or hutch that has tons of Japanese cookery and um, chopsticks and bowls and all these different things and these busts of stone of these samurais and 
she still has all that stuff. So I would tinker with those things when I was a kid. Um, and we had this thing called a nabe, which I actually have. My father actually produced it and gave it to me that he brought back from Japan. And we would, um, it's like a small barbecue that you light outside on a wooden stool, on a wooden base, but it's made out of cast iron. Once the coals get white, then you put a little five petaled um, cast iron that had kind of at an angle with a little trough on each one. So we would sit around the table and my mom would give us raw shrimp and chicken and beef and we take these skewers and you sear it on there. It's kind of like a like oh. a Mongolian barbecue, but table side. There's a good restaurant idea we it was have going here. Super cool. Well, I thought about doing it at Selgree with because I had those uh, Himalayan salt slabs that we mm-hmm. had, and I would get them hot at, and put them on a, uh, a uh, what's it a cork trivet, and I would send out raw shrimp, and then you can sear the raw shrimp on this hot s- salt slab. Right. Um, that was really fun. That was a cool kind of idea that we had that it worked for a little while but it seemed like it was too hot and there was nowhere for the grease to run off so it was just kind of one of those things but you know um we had those pink slabs and they're really cool so i would just use it to place my raw fish on and season it instead like some some places i worked at for uh, elizabeth daniel in san francisco and we used kombu leaves for um instead of putting it out on a plate and seasoning it we would put our fish right on the kombu um and that would season it from underneath on both sides was really cool that was that was that was a cool spot to work at um, Man, I didn't eat today. I'm getting hungry. Right, uh, we're going to get hot dogs <laughs> after this. We're, I'm excited. Um, so where did I go? I kind of went off on a tangent, I guess. No, but, you were oh, talking anyway, about so, what you were making as a kid. Yeah, so you know, mac and cheese and ramen. My mom would make sukiyaki and all these really cool things from Japan. So she was, when she was there and she was cooking, it was delicious, right? And so I used to draw pictures of chefs when I was a kid. And, you know, I don't know why, but it just kind of was one of those things. And then when I was living in... Um, Eureka with my father was I was 15 and I decided that I wanted to make my own money I didn't need to mow the lawn and get a uh, an allowance right so I um, um, got a job at this place called the Whalers Inn which is in Fields Landing which is just south of Eureka so I'd ride my bike out there and I started washing dishes um, which eventually led into prep cooking peeling shrimp at, f- at 15 at 15 and then when I was 16 when I was legal to work work because they were I wasn't you know legal right. at that time because then they had to fill out like um, with the high school, you had to fill out like a work um, form or whatever it was. Anyways, so the the chef there um, offered me a line to cook on the line. I was like, sure. And it just was one of those, it was just, it was natural. It just started happening and it progressed and it progressed and it progressed. And yeah, I worked at the Red Lion in the 80s. Um, so were you paying attention to school then or did you just I was paying of- attention to school, but I was paying attention to cooking. You know what I mean? And, um, and I worked at this, the Red Lion of all places, and there was this fellow there by the name of Paris Lee, who I can say is my biggest mentor. Um, and he took me under his wing, um, and he was part of, he was the president of the ACF, the American Federation, and chapter of the Redwoods. And he had a buddy that was in Reading, this guy, um, I can't remember his name, um, Cal De Mercurio, who had De Mercurio's in Reading, and we would go over there. And, and he got me involved in the American Culinary Federation at a very young age. So all the chefs around Eureka, um, would get together and have these dinners at the either the really lavish Ingemar Club, which is a um, uh, Ingemar Mansion, which is this, it's an iconic spot of Eureka. Anytime you see Eureka, that's like that's the symbol of Eureka. Um, besides a big pot leaf. Um, yeah, I was gonna that, right. and yeah, I was gonna say that's the first it's, thing I think of when I hear every, that's what Humboldt County. Humboldt, like, oh, yeah, oh, but that's Humboldt. gonna go. I think that's gonna dissipate a little bit because I guess we still we still associate that with Amsterdam. But sure. now that we're here in Oregon, when we go to Amsterdam, it's not. It's no Such big deal a, anymore. Yeah, it's it's no legal. Big, Who cares? Yeah. It's, it, it is what it is. Um, so we started doing all these really cool um, dinners, and it got me involved. So I became, when it 
when all the chefs would do a course, they asked me to be, I would do the, um, the finishing. I would finish the plates and make them all look beautiful and, and do the garnishing and all that stuff. That's so that was pretty really, cool. It was a cool. Young age. And really was, young. That was avant-garde. Right. And then that was just starting, I would imagine. Yeah, it sure We're was. not going to talk about exactly, well, we can, what year that was. but <sighs> That was 89. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was 19. Before a lot of that's. A lot of that was happening, right? So it was cool. I mean, and and Paris was, you know, he he was, he wasn't a hard chef to work for. He was a great chef to work, and he was he was a mentor, and he was a wonderful father, and um, he was just great to work with, you know. And he really showed me what it was about when I was at a young age to be working and earning money instead of out partying. Even though I found time to party, it's okay. We, you know, we always do that, but. Um, and then, so I just kind of worked myself around Eureka a little bit, and there's this place called the um, Bay City Grill that I took a job as um, during the day, and they made me the lunch chef. So, and then I became um, the PM chef there. Um, and then I worked in Arcata at this place called the Brutzi, which is still there, and they had the Plaza Grill, which is upstairs, and I became the chef of a Brutzi um, and Plaza Grill. Have you ever counted how many restaurants you've no, worked in? Because you started lot. really young. Yeah, I did start really so. young. Um, <laughs> You're, and, you've got to be in the, uh, you know... Teens. Oh, I was going to say maybe further more than that. Yeah. So yeah. So um, and then the the final spot was a uh, while well, I was working at um, which is the, another historical landmark, the Eureka Inn. Um, they had this place called the Rib Room, and the Rib Room was where um, it was the fancy restaurant because they had you know two restaurants, or they had the, the regular breakfast dining room, and then a banquet kitchen, and then they had the Rib Room. So I became the chef of the Rib Room. And that's where I kind of started processing my own techniques and doing things and like learning how to make it what a gastrique is and um, all these different things without going to culinary school, right? Just kind of reading and learning and being a sponge and absorbing everything that you see. Um, uh, and I met a, a young lady there that I fancied and I was kind of chasing her for a while and we actually kind of, we got together and we spent some, some years together and she got accepted to Berkeley. Um, and so she's like, do you want to get out of Eureka? And I said, I do. So we went to, I moved to, of all places, Fremont, um, and I lived in Fremont while she was living in Lafayette and going to, and this is in the Bay Area, the East Bay, and she was going to um, Berkeley. Um, I eventually moved into Lafayette, uh, and I started working for Pete's Coffee and Tea, so I got really, um, I t took a break from cooking at a little bit of time and um, worked for Pete's Coffee and Tea and kind of got well-rounded in the coffee and tea part. You know, it's still food and beverage, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then I was able to get on board and still help them open new stores and help them teach new employees how to taste um, and drink coffee and tea and pull espresso shots. So kind of would be a new store opener trainer type of person. So that was really kind of cool. Um, I was asked to come to Portland and open the first Pete's on Northeast Broadway. Um, and so I came That's up That's the here. only one I've ever been to. They have them all, they're all over the place now, right? Yeah. But then I, you know, I, I worked at that one and opened it up and trained people. And that was my first visit to Portland. I'm like, Portland's fantastic. I was like, oh my God. What year was this? Oh, geez. I want to say 95, 96. Okay. Yeah. So that was a while ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. And I made a few more visits to and Portland. And think about what's happened with coffee. Oh, my God. It's then. just like, right? And it's just, it's crazy. Um, and there's so many good good coffee places in town now. So um, You got a favorite? I like Spella. Spella's mm -hmm. good. I like Extracto a lot. Mm -hmm. Their little spot on Prescott and 15th is where they have the pour-overs is yep. delicious Chris and Celeste, you know, they're doing a really good job. And I used to, I lived out in Northeast for a while right off Ainsworth, and that was my spot. I would go on the extracto on 31st right there on Killingsworth. I'd always go there. Mm -hmm. 
always, and it was just delicious coffee. It's and delicious, it and is. it's also strong. Yeah. I used to go there to try to write. Uh-huh. Same thing <laughs> with the, <laughs> same thing with the ristretto. After one cup, man, I was just like, "Now I got to find some tea, right? Or or just <laughs> water, right?" Um, but it's delicious. It's fantastic. I always like to have a little extracto. This would be a great time, Chris, for us to talk about our good friends at Standard TV and Appliance and Gen Air and Gen Air, both founded in 1947. Exactly. What a coincidence! And they've paired together to support this podcast. We're very happy about that. And if, we have good things to say. Yeah. If you've dreamed of having an appliance that is connected to to your Wi-Fi, for example, that you can control from, you know, maybe the office, Gen Air's got it. And standard TV appliance has the Gen Air. Right. So you, you're connected in every other way. Why not set your oven up so it'll start when you're on your way home yep or you got that casserole sitting in there so it turns on and it's ready right when you walk in the door exactly and this is this is the wave of the future so get in now mm-hmm. um and i'd love to have that so i think it's great that we have standard tv and appliance which is locally owned and oregon based it's awesome i agree that's what we're looking for on this podcast and um also they're so kind as to if you shop for a Air appliance mm-hmm. use the word fork and don't just say fork. Right. Don't don't walk up to the salesperson while you're purchasing the Gen Air and wink and say fork. Right. You I, need to just say, I heard this on right at the fork. And hopefully they'll know what you were talking about. But again, we suggest you say that anyway when you walk in the door. Right. And the reason why is because they'll uh, they'll include a five-year warranty on your Gen Air appliance. Oh, thanks for yeah. supplying that information. Yeah. No, <laughs> you could just mention, hey, by the way, I listened to right at the fork. But right. But five-year warranty is pretty good. There's a good. benefit to it. Yes, exactly. They've got uh, five locations to serve you. So pretty much wherever you are, they are too. Right. There's one right there on uh, Sandy mm-hmm. that's that's great with a great showroom. Yep. And also, standardtvandappliance.com. If you go to our website, rightatthefork.com, you can click through and it'll take you right to the Gen Air portion of Standard TV and Appliance website. Um, so yeah, so let's see Humboldt County, and then so we moved to, we moved, I moved to the Bay Area, and um, a friend of one of the managers at Pete's, um, her uh, girlfriend um, worked for Chevy's Fresh Mix, and they had a sister company called Fusio, and Fusio was Universal Pasta, and they did everything from Shanghai to linguine, meatballs, pad thai, all that stuff, um, and they had an opening for a sous chef in San Francisco. Um, and it happened to be at Embarcadero Tower One, um, and they would do about 340 covers for lunch, and it was turn and burn. So yeah, so I started working for Fusio, um, and it was a cool company. They offered benefits; the pay was great. Um, it wasn't by any means um, a culinary adventure, so to speak, um, but it taught me a lot about monitor like money and how to run a very busy restaurant weekly inventory, doing the numbers, watching your labor. Um, and it, it was cool and it was fun. And I was in San Francisco. I was like, fantastic. This is great. You know, and I started to go walking around town and learning San Francisco very, very well. Um, and then I met a fellow by the name of, um, sheesh, um, I can't remember his name, <laughs> but I opened a restaurant with him. Um, <laughs> um, and it was the Cosmopolitan Cafe down on Spear, and it was right across the right across the walkway from. It was in Rincon Center, so um, Yank Singh was our neighbor, basically. Um, I wish. I so you're in Portland, and then you're back out to San Francisco. Did you want to get back here? Well, this is just so happened. So you know, yeah, I, I never Portland wasn't on my mind at that time. Um, 
just being in San Francisco, it was fantastic. And, you know, taking the BART from the East Bay was great, you know, and never lived in San Francisco, but I worked in San Francisco, spent a lot of time and made a lot of friends in San Francisco. Um, and so I worked with the Sfuzio thing and I did the, um, did the Cosmopolitan Cafe. Um, and that was really lovely. And, um, we got, um, three and a half stars out of four from Michael Bauer. Um, and that was my first kind of real sous chef chef gig in San Francisco. I would say that wasn't like part of the Chevy's like fresh mix thing. Um, and, um, and then I was living in, in, in Lafayette, Walnut Creek area. And then I took a job in, um, in, uh, Danville at a place called 301 Bistro and I became the sous chef there. And the, the chef that was there, his name was King Wong, um, was at the Carnelian room for many, many years. And this guy showed me how to butcher any kind of fish. It was fantastic. Like watching this guy work was magic. Um, <clears throat> and we had, had you already had your moment where you obviously you had, but had you at what point did you have your moment when you said, "Man, I just love this. This is I'm so glad I I I'm in a kitchen." I think it was when I got that first job in San Francisco. It didn't matter if it was like a fast casual pace because that's what it was. It was like I'm in San Francisco. I'm not living in Eureka anymore. You know, I was just like, okay, I'm, I, I'm in the big city, so to speak. Right. right. And it just, it, it felt pretty fantastic, you know? Um, and I started to think about how I wanted to cook and what I wanted to cook and what I wanted to keep learning. And, um, have you had, have you, have you revisited that feeling since at some of, you know, at Raven and Rose and Raven Parle, Rose definitely. Parle was fantastic. Selgri, obviously. Um, Genoa was, I really like working at Genoa with Dave um, when he made me the chef de cuisine there. And, you know, that was, you know, that they was had some pretty interesting well, cuisine had, you were doing there. Too. Well, it was Italian, right? But, you know, what they asked me is like, we're going to put a little bit more on your plate. You know, Dave's going to take over a conto and kind of run the whole thing, but we need you to run Genoa. Um, and, you know, we changed the month the menu monthly, and that was a five-course meal. I decided to add a vegetarian tasting menu to it as well. So you can come in and have either the regular menu or a vegetarian course. And that was a lot of fun. And, you know, it, it's it's fun that um, I still see Trish, the owner, and she says that the only time that they ever made money and the time that they're ever the busiest was when I was the chef there. And she made me, I mean, she made that clear in an email and it was, it was really nice and thoughtful to say that to me and it felt that made me feel really good right yeah and that's, um, that's an iconic that was an iconic portland it was you know, and to be so part of that was, was great yeah, so um, and, and you were part of it at the end right a long run right yeah but not the not the end not the end <laughs> but part of the end right um um so yeah so after um cosmopolitan cafe i did the that bistro in danville and we um I got uh, asked to do the cover of a magazine with Diablo magazine, which was down there. And that was in, uh, 99. Um, and I got on the covers, one of the best new chefs in the East Bay. And I was like, fantastic. This is great. Everything's going my way. Right. And then, um, um, when I was young, I got mugged in Eureka and I got hit upside the head by two by four. Um, so it's kind of gave me some nerve damage, um, in my face. And cause that's why my, my smile, it's smirky. It kind of leans one way. But I also had some damage to my ear, um, and I started suffering from vertigo. And I just had a little bit about of it, but this last week I had like three days I was out of work where I'm like, okay, I'm getting dizzy. I know what's going to happen. I need to lay down and rest and like lay in a dark room and do nothing for a couple of days. Um, <clears throat> and I kind of had this this bat with vertigo when I was at the restaurant 301, and um, King didn't understand what was going on with me. Um, 
And so um, um, he asked me to leave. And I was like, I'm, I'm sick. I, I don't know what to tell you. There's nothing they can do. I saw a doctor. They're like, there's not much you can do. You do these exercises. Here's this giant steroid horse pill that just gave me extremely bad um, migraines. Um, and so I was out of a job. Um, not sure what to do. Um, and the year before on my birthday, I was dating this gal, another gal, um, and we shared the same birthday, um, November 24th. I did that once. Yeah, it was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but we same had, day? Uh, same day, yeah, same day. Same we were year, the same I mean. age. No, same she was, oh, that's she's a few years younger than I me. I had one the same year. Same. No. We were born the same day. Crazy. Um, and we had dinner at the French Laundry. And I had the French Laundry cookbook and everything was fantastic. And I was like, you know what? I want to work at the French Laundry. So um, I went up there and I applied. Um, I did a stage. Um, I had to cook Thomas uh, a meal at the end of my stage. Um, and he. How nervous were you? Oh, that? super nervous. You don't even know. Like, so nervous, you know, and, and you're surrounded by 25 cooks. You know, you're fighting for space, literally. It's summer, it's hot. Um, and it was just one of those. It was just one of those Does things. Does he ask everybody to make a meal for him? Or is yeah, that- the, so Eric Zeibel was the chef de cuisine at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, he gave me an 80-gram uh, an piece of fish, and he says, you need to have dinner ready for Thomas at 5 o'clock. And I was like, yes, chef. And I could use any ingredient I wanted in the kitchen. Um, and I, What kind of fish was it? Um, it was halibut, yeah. Um, very small little piece of halibut. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I made him dinner. Um, all he wanted was one plate of food, and uh, he was eating it. And I asked him, "Chef, Chef, do you like it?" He's like, "I would tell you if I didn't like it." I'm like, "Yes, Chef." You know, and that's like that's where the whole "Yes, Chef" mentality comes from—is that mm-hmm. spot, right? Um, and they offered me a job the next day, um, so I started renting a room up in Yountville, and I was there <clears throat> five days a week. Um, sometimes I was there from um, five in the morning until one o'clock in the morning, depending on your day and what you had to work. Um, and he put me in as a, um, um, a chef de partie of canapé, so all first courses. So I was doing everything that came out, the first course, the um, oysters and pearls and the panna cottas and the soups and all these, like, canapés. So it was all first course. And I remember working with him the, the, the first time I worked with Thomas. I was so nervous, and um, it was it was hotter than hell in that kitchen, and I was trying to canal some caviar. And he's like, have you ever made a canal before? I'm like, yes, yeah, chef. He's like, no, you haven't, chef. And he retaught me everything that I was already learning up to that point, you know. And I thought, and how know, much better was the new canal that you made? Way better. And I, you know, I teach. And what co- made it better? Just the technique. And I know, but what technique? We don't usually talk technique on this. It's show, like, but there might be people listening who want to know that what that it's canal the was. right type of spoon that you can actually get the perfect curvature on that on the canal. Finishing off with maybe just dipping your spoon in a little water so your canal slides off your spoon and it leaves that sharp edge at the top. Mm-hmm. Right? Some people do a, a pulled canal where it's like that perfect little conical shape, and or you can do the other one where you do spoon to spoon to spoon to spoon. So I taught, you know, learned that. I also learned how to cook foie gras again because, you know, everything is French flat top there and they do a lot of things in cast iron or, you know, of course, um, all clad in copper. Um, and then... Um, I was at the laundry for about eight months, um, close to a year, and I. You Is know anybody what? else that we know in Portland that that worked there? I'm trying. I think I've. I don't recall. Um, there was the fellow that was at. Um, what's the restaurant that was in the Pearl? 
That was the offset of tabla. Uh, I don't know. Okay, it's gone now. Remember, okay. and that was a uh, they had a really avant-garde wine list. And, what Fenwi? No, um, it was in the, right next to Sur La Table. Oh, next to Sur La Table. Yeah, across the street. Now oh. it's like an office building or a bank right. or something like that. Yeah, um, but he we was can, he was at the laundry. That out, Court. You can make okay. note of that. Um, he was at the laundry too, but then he didn't stick around Portland because it wasn't his cup of tea, right? Um, <clears throat> and after I left the laundry, um, I went to work for Daniel Patterson and Elizabeth Daniel in San Francisco, and that was awesome. He was great to work for. He was a, a wonderful chef and a great mentor, and the kitchen was beautiful and small, but we had all the really cool, um, you know, all the cool kitchen equipment, flat flat top and combi ovens and all these things, and we started doing sous vide there, but it was, you know, we did a, a, a cast iron pan turned upside down on the back of the of the French flat top um, with a water bath on top of that, and then we would, you know, sear stuff and or vacuum seal it, and so that's where I kind of started getting sous vide, but we had no... We didn't have an immersion circulator. We were just doing it kind of old-fashioned. Um, and I learned a really lot of good technique and had a lot of fun there. Um, worked next to Christopher Costau, who is um, now at Meadowood. Um, and he, after he left Elizabeth Daniel, he went on to go work in France and for other people and came back. And then he now has garnished three Michelin stars at Meadowood. So it was fun standing next to somebody that's that's doing so hot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, let me ask you this. Are you still learning? You were, you had some incredible learning experience. I did, you know. And so how do you, how do you learn now? Um, well, <clears throat> Raven and Rose has taught me a different type of thing. Um, once again, once we got the food at Raven and Rose consistent, um, and healthy and sustainable, um, and beautiful, then we really started I started keeping everything consistent um, and not changing the menu too often, changing the accoutrement that goes on with the food, um, but keeping your proteins um, the same um, and really focusing on what makes this restaurant tick and what's going to make this restaurant successful. And Raven and Rose, like I said before, is a huge space, 7,000 square feet, and there's a lot, Renee, there's a lot of stuff that we have to, I have to look about. There's, I have quite a few employees. You know, we have... Um, we have a bar staff, we have a service staff, we have a kitchen staff, we have a pastry staff, you know, and it was, you know, put on my plate, like, you know, we need to get costs under control. We need to make this place successful because if we can't make it successful, it's, it's, we're not going to be well, a Raven and Rose anymore. We're well, plus be, you're well positioned for the future with correct. all the construction going on correct. around it. Oh my God, it's going to be what fa- you got fantastic. Go, what you, you mentioned to me earlier, what that, what was going to happen. Well, the Oregonian building across the street is, has been converted into different levels of office spaces. There's a Ristretto in there now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to be doing some like, um, I think there might be a small food court that's going in there. Um, but then on, um, in September, um, there's going to be like 600 new Amazon employees. So it's the higher echelon of Amazon. And you mean Whole Foods employees? Whole Foods employees, correct. <laughs> <laughs> I just read that the other day, right? Um, yeah, that's pretty crazy. What do you think about that? I kind of think it's cool. Yeah, I think I think it'll be it'll bring us. I was talking to my son yesterday, we're gonna we're gonna see things we've never seen before. Right. Right at the fork is brought to you by Zupans, unsurpassed quality. From the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland. 
West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years, Zupan's Markets. La Ruta PDX. Get tickets now for the first ever La Ruta PDX Festival. Top chefs from Spain and around the world. Join forces with chefs from Portland dedicated to Spanish cuisine. It's a gastronomic festival July 14th through the 16th. That's four days of dinners, events, workshops, demos, and cultural experiences. Find out more and buy tickets at larutapdx.com. Standard TV and Appliance. Standard TV and Appliance offers the largest selection, fast delivery, professional installation, and live kitchens where you can try before you buy. Oregon-based and family-owned, setting the standard since 1947. Standard TV and Appliance is your place for quality Gen Air appliances and more. And by Portland Food Adventures. Imagine eating your way through Barcelona with Italo's Jose Chesa or Tuscany with Lardo and Grasa's Rick Gencarelli. Join right at the Fork host Chris Angelis with these great chefs in Europe this fall. Get more information under the blog tab at portlandfoodadventures.com where you can contact Chris directly. You got a hotel going in next door. Correct. correct? So that's going to be an 18 story space that's a Radisson R. So it's going to be kind of a green building. They projected to be finished um, by October uh, in 19. So that there too far. Yeah. The, the folk, the gentleman that's been kind of finding spots to go into the space and try and find uh, with the developers, they've been having their meetings upstairs in the rookery so they can actually talk about the building and then look at the building across the street, um, which I think is pretty cool. That's 3,200 new people. You know, you really, all of us in Portland, we're all talking about growth, right? But, Really, take a look at all the new hotels going in. I mean, if you drive over to the, the Fremont AC, Bridge, right? You yeah, can see AC. all the towers in this town. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's I mean, nuts. that what that is, is I mean, it's going to, we, if we aren't already, right. an incredible tourism destination, which then is going to fuel growth for residents. Right. People, you know, most people who come here want to live here. Right, and now they're coming here for the food scene. Right. Because we're one of the top, you know, food cities in America right now. And it's it's rightly so because you look at the, the, the bounty of the Willamette Valley that we have. It's just, it's unreal. Every part of it is unreal. The food, the farmers, uh, the produce, the wine. Um, it's a fantastic place to live. I, I love living here. I've, I've lived here for 15 years now. I've, I haven't thought about going anywhere else. I just found this ring at the Astoria Sunday Market. That morning I was driving in this new area of Astoria I'd never been in before. Uh-huh. And I was thinking, again, which I'm always doing, how much I love Oregon. I run across this ring. They're making quarters, uh, an Oregon quarter into rings. I'm not never really worn a ring. Uh-huh. But it had the. It was minted the year I moved here, 2005. And I, and I, I say this because I, you say you love Oregon. Yeah. I've never had a relationship with a state with geography the mm-hmm. way I have this. Nice ring there, too. Yeah, I've had that one for a really long time. Um, so... Um, it's a it's an incredible place to live, yeah. and I think those we're all lucky right. to be here. I think so. And and watching all these hotels go in, this is all new. If you really all of a sudden look around and pay attention, it's not just one hotel. There <laughs> are a lot of them, and there are also you know condos going. Right. Well, you too. look at the the neighborhoods, neighborhood to neighborhood, right? And you think about when I first moved here in two thousand two, I lived off of Powell. And I would take a walk, and I walked over to Division Street, and there was nothing on Division. Nothing. Absolutely nothing on Division Street, except for, which is across the street from Pock Pock, that little Thai restaurant, and right. I would get Thai food from there. What is it, um, appetizing? Appetizing, appetizing, yeah. appetizing, yeah. And now, 
you know, and then there was that little sushi joint across the street, which is where that Pock Pock's first little shack was. Right. Um, and then you knock on the door and the old guy, the little, little old man would come out of his house and he would come into the little shack and make sushi. And it was some of the best sushi in town. Wow. And then he sold that spot to, I think he actually stones it, but then Andy took it over, right? So <clears throat> now you look at Division Street and, you know, you drive down uh, Williams, you're like, what the, what yeah, happened, Williams right? It's thing. so crazy. And the same thing with with Alberta. I mean, everything is, 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 of course, it's being gentrified, right? And Even Multnomah Village. Multnomah I drove Village, by there yeah. yesterday, new large buildings in Multnomah Village. Yeah. So um, who are some of the chefs here that you're most impressed with? Uh, Your chef buddies and even those that aren't buddies. You know, I, I really love Gabriel. I haven't seen him in a long time. I know he's, you know, he's, he's being a, a he's being a, po- a father, right? And yeah, um, there was and, a great article. I just about read that and it was fantastic, great. you know, and we're going to get him on soon to talk a little bit about cool. that. You know, I, I like uh, Greg and Gabby a lot. Justin's fantastic. Uh, Castagna. Um, there's so many talented people in this town. Um, and everybody has their own kind of niche of what they're doing. Um, and it's just great to be part of what's going on here. This, the culture and the food scene. I think it's it's really wonderful. You know, and I felt, you know, after Selgrey, I was moving around a little bit. And, I, you know, I got this um, this kind of... Uh, stigma with me that though the, the chef that the traveling chef and you know i had to do what i had to do to be a father and i've been a single father so i have to do what i have to do for my boy um yeah and um to you know it's 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 kind of weird that i would get this stigma about me that i was the, the traveling chef because i went to a restaurant that failed but it wasn't of my fault then I went to another restaurant that didn't seem to be working and I left and and then it closed you know so all these places I've been have basically closed after I've, I've left or, or changed hands or done something different which has nothing to do with me it has everything to do with ownership and the way people handle their business um, that being said going to Raven and Rose and uh, working for Lisa Migrant and working with David Cheneau and all the good people that we work with there um, making such a wonderful space that um, we have our shit together, and that's why I'm still there. Is because we've we've got our shit together. We've made that turn after the third year. Um, your fourth year is your golden year for a restaurant. Either you make it or you break it, and mm-hmm. we made it, and we're making it. And and we've done you know we've done a lot of things that like you know it. This is our slow time of year. We slow down and. In June, July, and August, we just tank in business because there's no shows, there's nothing that's really happening, and it just so happens where we happen to be for foot traffic, it's not very good. But that's going to change for in September, oh, yeah. thankfully, right? So you know we have to we have to adjust and we have to figure out what's happening. You know, we close for the first week in of July because we know nobody's going to be downtown, and we've tried to be open, and we just realized nobody's going to come in. We have people standing around. You know, it's all these salaried people, and that's you know there we want to have a quality of life so we we just close and give everybody a vacation at this time of year and so. you've got the minimum wage issue coming up coming Not up issue. It's right a, it's a thing to deal with correct coming up july 1st yeah uh a dollar 50 it's going up i think so yeah yeah so, so you know and we already did our we already did some adjustments with that so we were paying our employees very well um especially our salaried employees and i also we talked about the quality of life where my my employees um so yeah, Raven Rose, we've we've taken that turn. We've we've proved that we can run a, a very big, expensive building. Um, we get the seats, we get the butts in the seats, 
Um, we keep the food consistent. We keep the cocktails fantastic. Um, we keep the farmers coming in even in the winter. Um, and and you have some of the most comfortable seats you can find. Oh my God, they're the most big, comfy bar stools in the world, absolutely. right? Absolutely, they're so that's, fantastic. That's and the couches upstairs. That oh. When that when I'm sitting there trying to decide where I'm going to go, uh-huh. I have to tell you, seats are now part of the decision, right? Uh, and there are some restaurants again that will remain nameless that I think I would have gone to had they had. Well, I've some restaurants thinking, do they do they, they want, want you to you get there. in and get out, or yeah. they want you to stay and relax? Yeah, and but enjoy they your don't time. get me at all right. because they've made that decision. Sure. All right, so uh, what are you going to do? You got the summer in front of you. Right. You just you just have more time with Renee. You just Correct. earned it and probably worked pretty hard to get it and yeah. drove yourself crazy doing it. What are you going to do the summer? What We're doing a lot of camping. Um, so where do you like to camp? Um, I like to go down to Nehalem in the Manzanita area. I know you live down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked you before if you knew a friend of mine, Will Russell, and he lives on 47. Just on, so if you take Old Nahalem Road right. through the dairy, and then you come out on 47, where it, it, that, that little kind of. You mean 53? 53, I'm sorry, 53. Right. Um, that goes between 26 and Wheeler, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he lives on that little piece of property, and he, um, he's been a longtime friend of mine. And we met good, good guy through, to know. people that we used to do these dinners at in homes. And this one, actually, the people that I was, I grew up with in, in Eureka, was a friend of mine, and they live in Corvallis, and that's how I met him through Corvallis and anyways he's got this wonderful hunting and fishing cabin he's been going to for many years and he actually bought it a few years back and he's been refinishing it and remodeling it and he extended it and he put in a wood hearth and um, you know you walked into his house and it looks like it was Julia Child's kitchens because he's got all this copper or all these cast iron hanging from the pegboards and and it's all about food so um, am I going to get an invitation when you're out there? Yeah. Come by? Yeah. It'd be more, the more the merrier. Um, it's a lot of fun. And we, Sounds good. And we can just camp, you know, just right off his property. The Nehalem is in his backyard. Literally, the rivers are so... Nice. Renee caught his first cutthroat last year on his own fly rod. Um, you know, we... It's kind of a redneck rodeo down there. It's a lot of fun, but it's, you know, an eight-year-old's wet dream. Like, there's anything he wants, it's there. And and so we spent some time down there. We I'd just been spending some time with to Packwood a couple weeks ago in Washington, and that was right on the Cowlitz, and that was really awesome. Um, but my biggest plan is just spending more time with him and spending more time outside because I feel like I'm trapped indoors during the winter because that's when we're really busy. We're like a, we're a foul weather restaurant as it is until these other places open up. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm trapped inside all winter and it's cold, right? So when it's hot out, I want to wear my cutoffs. I don't want to be outside. I want to be with my kid. I want to be doing something, whether we're hiking or fishing or riding our skateboards or riding a scooter or bowling or doing something. It's like we're always constantly doing something. And I, I want to make sure that... Um, He's always going to have these memories to think about, you know, he's as at, he grows he, up. He's at a great age. Yeah. I just spent Father's Day with my oldest, who's uh-huh. now 28, berry picking on Savio Island yesterday. Uh-huh. It's great. We right. still do that. Right. And and we did, you, you, you may or may not care about baseball, but we did cross-country trips. That's how I landed in Portland, okay. going to every major league ballpark. So enjoy your, uh, your time, yeah. your summer. I'm loving it. Do some new things. Yeah, we're actually going to go zip lining. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. And where are you getting a hot dog? I think we're going to go to Frank's a lot. Frank's a lot. Where's yeah. Frank's a lot? It's up on Burnside, uh, just past Oh, 28th. about Frank's a lot. Yeah, in the, near the Whole Foods. Yeah, you know what? I, they make a good Chicago dog. I, yeah. I haven't had a better one in town. I haven't. Well, cool. Well, yeah. enjoy. Yeah, I you. wish we could go. We got a couple more 
we got a little bit more to go here in the studio, but thank you for coming by. Sure. Thank you, Renee, for coming by. Say thanks. Thank you. Cool. Um, it's been a long time. Glad we. Hey, thank glad you, you for having me on the show. In. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, it's uh, probably the first guest good. that didn't have to deal with parking or how to get here either. No, That's I know exactly where you're at. Exactly, right down the street. All right, we'll see you soon. Okay, bud. Thank you. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right